Um, so Frank Rotman, uh, founding partner and chief investment officer of QED Investors. Uh, QED is a boutique venture capital fund that's been around for 15 years. Um, we are fintech specialists. We've invested in about 200 companies in the past 15 years. Uh, we are a global firm at this point with 20 some odd investment professionals investing in the US, the UK, Latin America, um, continental Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, India, and Africa. So we have uh, a lot to say, you know, given that we basically formed the fund in 2008, which was really the beginning of the fintech revolution uh, before fintech was even a word. And we've kind of grown up with fintech as it's turned into something pretty big. And uh, we now have a team that is hunting globally to find and fund and help some of the the best emerging fintechs on the planet. Yes, and you also put out a report last week um, with the Boston Consulting Group. We had Nigel Morris, um, your partner on the stage yesterday morning, showing how <coughs> dramatically the funding landscape has changed. So before we get into the major structural flaw, why don't you just give your perspective on what the funding landscape is like right now, um, um, particularly when it comes to valuations. How, how are you kind of seeing fintech valuations in 2023? Yeah, I mean, you have to start with a framework before you understand whether valuations are rational or irrational. And, you know, I think it's a truism that the value of a company is a combination of the intrinsic value of the machine and the cash flow that it can produce, plus the option value of what that thing could become in the future. Right, so there are these two pieces of the value equation. And I think in the last super cycle before things changed, like a lot of value was ascribed to the option value of these companies and what could be built. Um, and if you look at today's environment, it's much more about the intrinsic value of what's been built. And making that shift is very dramatic. So what you're seeing is valuations coming down as people look at what the machines, these fintech machines, can actually produce today, which is more how public markets are used to evaluating companies. You know, they look at the cash flows, they look at how durable the machine is. So we've seen uh, the public markets valuations come down as they value the option value less and intrinsic value more. That's rippled to the late stage of venture capital, you know, which used to be called private equity, but it's kind of bled over into venture capital. And it's starting to ripple its way back you know, through the ecosystem. So you're seeing it in you know, the decline in the prices of the average entry point of different rounds. Uh, it has not rippled all the way back to the seed, um, but it is starting to make its way through. Okay, so um, the idea for this session, it might be the only session here at the event, actually came from a tweet thread um, and this is something, if you, you need to follow uh, Frank on Twitter, Fintech Junkie, at Fintech Junkie. Um, he does these quite famous Twitter threads these days and one of them led to this, the, this yeah, actual I, session. I get to complain online and people <laughs> somehow read it. Right. So. so in this tweet thread you mentioned multiple structural problems which we'll get into, but maybe you could gr lay the groundwork before we get into the actual problems themselves of why these problems exist. Yeah, so venture capital as an ecosystem has evolved from a very, very small uh, you know, space to something that's much larger today. Uh, people think of it as a large ecosystem because there are some big outcomes at the individual level or at the company level, but if you actually look at it as an asset class, it's actually incredibly tiny. 
And it's tiny, but it's gotten much bigger over the, this past super cycle. And you know, when something uh, evolves very rapidly with multiples of the number of people playing and multiples of the dollars at work at play, uh, it kind of morphs and evolves into something that is not, from a pure standpoint, what it was designed to do in the first place. So I think it's a lot of experimentation happening in the VC ecosystem right now. And the experimentation has kind of spawned a bunch of models that don't make sense, or an ecosystem that isn't configured the way you would configure it if you were to start from scratch. So sometimes you have to step back and look at how an ecosystem or a company or a firm is working and say, is this the right configuration? If I had to do this with a blank sheet of paper, how would I actually design this ecosystem to perform better or work better? So it's not difficult if you take a look at the VC ecosystem to find lots of flaws about how the ecosystem is constructed. Okay, so then in your, in your tweet thread, you use the metaphor of a book and writing a book, and some, some, some um, people specialize in writing the first chapter, some people write middle chapters, some people write later chapters. Why don't you just tell us why, what's the structural flaw in that, in that metaphor? Yeah, so the purpose of venture capital is to take ideas and to take teams uh, and basically deploy capital against these ideas to see if a business can be built that can either unseat an incumbent, do something better in a market, or invent a new market. Like it's, it's not that complicated to think about what venture does. It basically spawns new businesses that become you know, the, next, um, the next stage of incumbent in a particular ecosystem. They solve problems. And you know, the entire concept of venture capital is to take something that's incredibly risky, and if you're successful, out the other side comes a business that becomes a generational company, a durable business, either you know, sold to a strategic or it becomes um, you know, a public company of its own, stands independent. So the entire purpose of venture capital is to build businesses, full stop. Just very risky, and you de-risk things in stages. So instead of telling a founder, here's $200 million, it's a great idea, go figure it out. You, you basically look at the assumptions in the business and say, look, as capital allocators, can we put money into a company uh, to actually invest in people and to invest in projects? And you know, by doing that, you're actually learning about whether you're right or wrong in stages. You're looking at the major assumptions in a business and you're saying, can I figure out whether I'm right or wrong around this assumption? How much money is that going to cost? Right? How long is it going to take? What team do I need to assemble to get an answer to that critical question? And by deploying people and by deploying money, you either get proof that you're on the right track or you get anti-proof. Right? You're either right or you're wrong. And if you generate anti-proof, you either have to shut the business down or you have to actually fix things to get you know, rid of it and re recreate the business. And if you have proof, you've earned the right for more capital to come in the business to turn over another card. So the entire purpose of venture capital isn't to give a company hundreds of millions of dollars up front and say, I'll wake up one day and see if you've succeeded or failed. Just wake me up and send me a check you know, if things worked out well. Um, it's really about de-risking businesses and stages. So, you know, it leads to a, a major structural flaw, you know, and I can talk about the chapter analogy, mm -hmm. because th this entire model 
is about de-risking businesses to get proof or anti-proof. And if you get the proof, you should be willing to fund the next chapter of that business, right? So think about writing a book. There are a lot of chapter one specialists that are out there, and you can think of them as talent scouts. They go out, they find authors that have never written stories before, writing stories that have never been written before. So what they do is they ask for a writing sample, right? So they basically say to a new author writing a new story, write the first chapter, let me read it. And if it's a good first chapter, I'm going to go find someone who is interested in this first chapter that's going to fund you to basically write the book. Right? So you have these talent scouts, they figure out whether an author has something compelling to say and they know how to say it well. Well, the startup ecosystem is the same way. Like a seed round is really about putting a writing chapter into the world. You see if teams can execute, you see if they can ship code, you see if they can get product into market, you can see if it's a product that people want. And you know, once you've done that, you shout from the rooftops if you are a seed stage specialist and you say, let me find someone who wants to build this business that I now have a writing sample around. The problem is the ecosystem has evolved so that it's not about finding that person who will help you build the business. It's about finding a chapter two specialist. And then that chapter two specialist invests in writing chapter two, the next stage in the company. And then if you get proof, which means you've earned the right to keep going, they have to find a chapter three specialist, right? And shout from the rooftops and say, look, I read chapter one, I read chapter two. I'm not gonna fund writing the book. I want you to fund writing the book. But let me tell you about how good this author is and let me tell you about how good this story is. And then the chapter three specialist says, okay, well, that sounds good, I'm gonna fund this. And then they have to find a chapter four specialist. And the problem is, in the cycle before this super cycle, there only were four rounds of capital that went into businesses. That was it. You had a seed round to go figure out if you can ship code and get product into market. You had a series A where it was about proving out some of the critical assumptions in the business and getting some very early signs of uh, go-to-market motion and scale. You had a series B, which was about early growth, scaling the company, showing that there are real margins in the business and that you are marching towards a profitable business. And then series C was private equity, right? Which was to connect the dots to a sale or to going public. And if that's what the world uh, you know, ends up being, you can, you can de-risk a business in chapters because the chapters make sense. But in this last super cycle, we've now moved into a world where it's alphabet soup. I right. think Series I with Stripe, I think I, it was. I mean, the, the number of rounds of capital that go into the business where you're no longer building a business for yourself, you're guessing at what the next funder is going to want in the business, which is a structural flaw in venture capital. Because you should be helping companies, helping founders build the business. And if you're giving them advice and saying, look, this is what we think you should do, are you giving them advice on that because it's a story that you want? or it's a story that you kind of sort of think someone else might want or a whole set of people might want. So a lot of the advice that's being given to founders is guessing at what the next funder is going to want, not saying let's de-risk this business together in stages. And if you're right and you get proof, the money will be there in order to de-risk the business at the next stage. So again, it's just turned into everyone trying to give advice about what the next guy is going to want. So then how, how do you solve that problem? Well, 
you know, I, I wrote another piece a uh, year and change ago called The Three-Body Problem, which was about, you know, uh, let's call it 50 to 80% of the VCs in the ecosystem, they're in strategically bankrupt positions, right? And it's amazing how this world is starting to flush that out. You know, the lack of availability of LP capital is really surfacing the VC models that don't make sense. Like, I was actually talking to one of our companies, and they talked to uh, an investor. They're actually in fundraise mode. And they said the investor described themselves as a Series B early growth for companies doing 10 million to 20 million of ARR. Like, what is that? Like, is, is that a thing? Like, that's what they sold to their LPs and the capital they raised was to do that thing. But they're basically describing themselves as like a chapter three specialist, like in this market. And for some reason, they think that provides some unique value, like in the ecosystem. And really, all it's doing is working backwards from a return profile that they're interested in funding, instead of building a business and using that as the core tenant. So then, I mean, there are some investors that invested, ver or some VCs that invest in, ver in various stages. I mean, you're, you're like uh, early stage for the most part at QED, right? Do you, are you saying that then, what we really need is a VC who will invest in all stages, or do we need VCs who communicate more openly and honestly with each other and still have the later stage specialist and the early stage? So there are a lot of ways of solving this problem. Uh, the first one is we need to get back to basics of how you de-risk a business. Like the whole thing falls apart if you need 12 rounds of capital to basically de-risk a business and become a durable, independent company. Like that is part of the problem, is that capital was abundant and it was cheap. So founders, instead of actually realizing that the entire goal of a business isn't to solve a problem, the entire goal of a business is to make money. And you make money by solving a problem. But you can't lose sight of the fact that the goal is to actually make money. And I think, uh, in this new cycle that is starting, I think we're going to go back to the basics where it's going to be about path to profitability. It's going to be about staging ambition. It's going to be about making sure that you're investing in a core business model where you can manufacture something at a lower cost than you can sell it for. Right? I mean, that sounds incredibly basic. That was lost in this last super cycle. And that's why so much capital ended up pouring into these businesses. So. You can survive in a world with four stages, right? The, the talent scout, seed stage specialist, kind of the early scaling, you know, proving out the assumptions, you know, growing your business and showing that like there are durable margins in the business and you have a go-to-market motion that can help you scale. And then private equity where you're either a profitable business or it's the connect the dots, right? And I think those stages make a lot of sense but you have to capitalize the company and you have to be very disciplined about building the companies you know, so that it adheres to that instead of just trying to find these chapter specialists, which is really a description of burning a lot of capital. Right, right. So let's just talk about the, the, the early stage, pre-seed, very early stage investors. There's, you know, I've, I've talked to many of them, um, I'm sure you have as well. There's huge numbers of fintechs being started right now and huge numbers actually getting Precede, you know, we're talking sometimes six figures of investment. And, you know, I think when we chatted a while ago, you said that these early stage investors are going to be in for a rude awakening. Does that mean that these, that the, these pre-seed companies are not, are not going to get a seed round? And what do, what do you mean by that? 
Yeah, so back to the basics really means back to the basics, and Darwin is kind of back in the house, right? Darwin was gone for three, four years during this, the peak of the super cycle, um, where if a business ended up with anti-proof, who cares, here's a check. If you had proof, who cares, here's a check. If you're bigger than you were the last time you had a check, you're worth more. Didn't matter how difficult it was to get there. Didn't matter like what problems you have in the business. Like you put your hand out, you ended up getting capital. So Darwin is now back where if there is anti-proof in the business and you haven't capitalized yourself to remove that anti-proof with a reconfiguration of the business or enough proof that can over, overcome it, the capital isn't going to be there for the next round. And I think a lot of these pre-seed and even early seed companies, they're capitalizing themselves with the perfect plan that if things go wrong, there is no money. And the problem is a lot of these, call it talent scouts or pre-seed specialists, they're not capitalized to write a second check into the company. And a lot of the companies are going to need a second check, which really means that they did not get far enough, fast enough with proof, where they ended up with anti-proof around the business. And Darwin is going to look at that and say, a new investor should not invest in this. If an existing investor wants to give the team a little bit more time and a little bit more runway, they can. But the pre-seed specialists are not designed to actually write more than one check into these companies. So we're going to start to see a failure rate that resembles what it should. Right. Okay, let's just get to an audience question or two here. Maybe we'll start with the bottom one. Um, what do you think is going to break the, the down round log jam? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, venture capitalists have to raise capital as well. They don't own the product they're selling. And, you know, they answer to LPs. So down rounds are very hard because it changes your track record and then you go back out to market and you say, we need to raise capital. Look at how good we're doing. And we're in a cycle where if anybody is going to market right now, they have to go to market on a bunch of markdowns. So I think we have to get these markdowns out from under us. The VCs have to actually take the medicine and say, this is actually what companies are worth, right? In this view of intrinsic value versus option value and like the function. Like, you kind of have to stare at what's been built. The thought of a 10 million ARR company being worth a billion dollars, like, that never made sense, right? Because the only way you get there is if you ascribe a lot of value to the option value of what could be built, not the intrinsic value of what's been delivered. So I think what will break the logjam is everyone take their markdowns, everyone take their medicine. We write off a bunch of companies that should have been written off in the past three or four years because we have a bunch of catch-up work to do on companies that never should have been funded with another round of capital. Um, you know, I can look at our firm as an example, but for over a three-year period, we didn't have a single write-off. That's not right. Like, that, that, that is not the way the ecosystem should work. These are risky investments in companies that are not guaranteed to succeed. So we, we have to clean up the back book, and then I think people will know what we're dealing with. Valuations have to retreat to things that are much more normal. Uh, companies have to become more capital efficient at building themselves. And when all of that happens, I think the logjam is going to be broken and capital will flow. Okay. Well, maybe we'll finish with this. Um, just a quick, we've only got 35 seconds left, a quick comment about IPOs. Um, obviously, there hasn't been any IPOs for a while in fintech. I mean, Renaud Laplanche teased yesterday that it may be in 2024 for him for upgrade. But what... Um, 
what conditions are going to be needed for the IPO market to open back up? I mean, the simplest condition is, you know, have you delivered a profitable company that has certainty around their business strategy and can project eight quarters out and actually beat forecast? Like, it's, it's a very basic profile of a business that a public investor wants. And this world of, you know, selling very volatile plans of unprofitable companies into the public markets, that's gone for some period of time. And that period of time is not measured in months. It's probably five, six years if it ever comes back. Um, so I think it's going to be about back to the basics, build real companies. And if you build real companies, the market will open up and you can IPO. Okay, that's a good way to end it. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for, for watching and listening. Um, yeah, that was a fascinating conversation. Give him a hand. Yeah.